بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد So we continue inshallah ta'ala with the explanation of the beautiful names of Allah Azza wa Jal Asma'illah al-Husna from the book Fiqhul Asma'il Husna Fiqhul Asma'il Husna by our Shaykh Shaykh Abdul Razzaq and Abdul Muhsin Al-Badr Hafidahumullah So the next name that the Shaykh mentions in his book is the name Al-Basir Last week we did As-Sami' or not last week but the last lesson we did As-Sami' And this week, insha'Allah ta'ala, we will do Al-Basir. Al-Basir is a name which is repeated in the Qur'an more than 40 times for zero. From this is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٌ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ In Surah Al-Shura, Ayah number 11, There is nothing like Him, and He is السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ He is the one who hears everything, and He is the one who sees everything. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah An-Nisa, ayah number 58, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Indeed, Allah is ever all-hearing and all-seeing. And Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرًا In Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 265, وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ Allah is all-seeing of that which you do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Ali Imran, ayah number 15, وَاللَّهُ بَصِيرٌ بِالْعِبَادٌ وَاللَّهُ بَصِيرٌ بِالْعِبَادٌ Allah is all-seeing of His slaves. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Surah Al-Mulk, Ayah number 19. إِنَّهُ بِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ بَصِيرٌ Indeed, he is able to see every single thing. And Allah Azza wa Jal said, again in Surah Al-Shura, إِنَّهُ بِعِبَادِهِ خَبِيرٌ بَصِيرٌ He is to his servants all-knowing or all-aware and all seeing and he the exalted said in Surah Al-Isra وَكَفَى بِرَبِّكَ بِذُنُوبِ عِبَادِهِ خَبِيرًا بَصِيرًا and sufficient is Allah with regard to the sins of his servants all aware and all seeing so what is Al-Basir because usually we know the methodology of the Shaykh in the book by now what the Shaykh does is that the Shaykh, he 
begins by mentioning where this is found in the Quran and then he goes on to talk about the meaning of this name in general so he says for Al-Basir الَّذِي يَرَى جَمِيعَ الْمُبْصِرَاتِ وَيُبْصِرُ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ وَإِنْدَقَّ وَصَغُرُ he said, Al-Basir is the one who sees everything that is to be seen. He sees everything even if it is minute and small. So he sees the crawling of a black ant on a black rock in the darkness of the night. He sees the flowing of the blood in the veins and the arteries. And he sees everything which is underneath the seven earths, as he sees everything which is above the seven heavens. He, subhanahu wa ta'ala, sees the turning of the hearts and he subhanahu wa ta'ala sees the glances that the eyes make and what we call the glance or the look that a person makes and usually we say this when somebody for example either looks at somebody to signal something like he signals with his eyes or somebody who looks at something he shouldn't be looking at and he just glances at it for a second Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees all of those things Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala he said al-basir is the one that because of the perfection of his sight, the completeness of his sight, he sees the most minute details of the tiniest any atom or the tiniest seed. He sees in the smallest, any the smallest creation, the smallest insect, its limbs and its any the meat that it has and the blood that it has and the brain that it has and the arteries and the veins that it has. He sees its movement upon a dark rock in the darkness of the night. And from that which it is obligatory to believe about with regard to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that he sees with two eyes 
which are befitting to his majesty and his perfection subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah Azza wa Jal said to us in the Quran wasbir li hukmi rabbika fa innaka bi'ayunina be patient with the decree of your Lord for indeed you are under our eyes and as Allah Azza wa Jal said وَحَمَلْنَاهُ عَلَى ذَاتِ أَلْوَاحٍ وَدُسُرٍ تَجْرِي بِأَعْيُونِنَا جَزَاءً لِمَنْ كَانَ كُفِرٍ Regarding the ark or the boat of Nuh that it travelled under our eyes with, within what our eyes see A reward for the one who was denied by his people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said regarding Musa alayhi salam, وَأَلْقَيْتُ عَلَيْكَ مَحَبَّةً مِّنِّي وَلِتُسْنَا عَلَىٰ عَيْنِي That I caused any love any to I caused those people to love you or your enemy to love you and that you be raised and within what my eyes see and in the hadith which is authentic in the description of the Dajjal in Al-Bukhari and Muslim the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said about the Dajjal إِنَّهُ أَعْوَرُ وَإِنَّ رَبَّكُمْ لَيْسَ بِأَعْوَرُ Indeed the Dajjal has one eye and your Lord does not have one eye i.e. your Lord has two eyes not one eye and those two eyes are not like his creation as Allah said, Laysa kamithlihi shay'un wa huwa sami'ul basir. There is nothing like him, and he is the all hearing, the all seeing. But those two eyes are befitting to his majesty subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody knows how they are except him. He's the only one who knows how they are. Al Imam al Mukhazayma rahimahullah ta'ala said, the famous muhaddith, the author of Sahih ibn Khuzayma, he said, Rahimahullah, we say, i.e., our opinion or our belief is that our Lord has two eyes that he sees with, whatever is under the sky and whatever is under the earth or the seven earths and the lower seven earths and whatever is in the heavens and whatever is between them whether something small or something big there is no secret that is hidden from him so he subhanahu wa ta'ala sees what is in the depths of the seas Just as he sees his arsh which he has risen over.
his throne which he has risen over. End the quote of Al-Imam ibn Khuzayma rahimahullah ta'ala. Then this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-Basir, it has certain things that are required from us when we hear this name al-Basir. From those are humility and submission before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when you know that Allah Azza wa Jal sees everything that you do, that instills within you a degree of submission and a degree of humility. Think in this, maybe it will help you to think in this or to think about this. How you behave when you know that someone really important is watching you. Any when you're by yourself, you relax, you don't think too much. You imagine that right now there is a camera that is recording you, just you. And a million people are watching you. Or someone very, very important is watching you. How do you behave? Instantly take more care about what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're sitting, how you're looking, the words you're saying. And if this is the creation of Allah then how about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the most deserving, in fact the only one who is deserving of our complete submission and surrender and worship. And then it leads us to al-muraqabah. It leads us to be constantly aware that Allah is watching us. And when you're constantly aware that Allah is watching you, it changes your perspective on the way that you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it leads to the highest level of Iman, which is the level of Ihsan. And ta'bud Allah ka'annaka tara. Fa'in lam takun tarahu fa'innahu yarak. That you worship Allah as though you can see Him and even though you can't see Him, you know that He can see you. That level of Ihsan comes from knowing that Allah is Al-Basir. And it's not possible for you to reach that level of Iman without understanding this name and what it means. Because when you know that Allah is Al-Basir, this develops within you Al-Ihsan. Because you worship Allah as though you can see Him and even though you can't see Him, you know that He can see you. And it leads you to perfect your worship. And it leads you to be far away from committing sins. Because how can you commit sins when Allah is watching you? And you can't wait for a time when Allah is not watching you because Allah is always watching you. So for sure when we commit sins and all of us commit sins, when we commit sins, this happens because of al-jahlu billahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ignorance of Allah, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because if we knew at that moment that we committed a sin and we remembered with proper remembrance that Allah azza wa was watching us, 
we would be shy to do something like that in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reality is we need to remind ourselves as much as we can because we forget like, like normal human beings. And that is why some of the scholars said that the word insan, human being, is related to the word annisyan, forgetfulness. Because we forget. By our nature we forget. But if we remembered with proper and full recollection that Allah Azza wa Jal was watching us at that time, then we would not disobey Him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whoever thinks about the ayat in the Quran which conclude with the name Al-Basir, more than 40 as we said, this becomes clear to that person. Yani the relationship between knowing that Allah is Al-Basir and between perfecting your worship and being far away from sinning. So as we said, from the two major benefits of, or three major benefits we can say of the name Al-Basir, one is that we're constantly feeling like Allah is watching us. And this leads us to perfecting our worship and being far away from sin. And the Shaykh he goes on to mention some examples of this. He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ يُولِجُ اللَّيْلَ فِي النَّهَارِ وَيُولِجُ النَّهَارَ فِي اللَّيْلِ وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ بَصِيرٌ this is because Allah makes the night go into the day and the day go into the night and because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Sami'un Basir, all hearing and all seeing. And this indicates to us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hears the sound of everything in the day and the night and He sees the movements of everything despite the different times and despite the different ways and circumstances in which things move. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَوْ بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ لِعِبَادِهِ لَبَغَوْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَكِنْ يُنَزِّلُ بِقَدَرٍ مَا يَشَاءُ إِنَّهُ بِعِبَادِهِ خَبِيرٌ بَصِيرٌ if Allah Azza wa Jal were to extend the provision of everyone and He give everyone lots and lots of riches, they would transgress on the earth. But Allah gives everyone their provision according to a certain measure that He wills. Indeed, He is towards His slaves, all-knowing and all-seeing. And in this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us that he knows the circumstances of his slaves and he sees the circumstances his slaves are in. He sees the one that deserves to be guided from the one that does not deserve to be guided. And he sees the one who deserves or who is, it's right for him to have riches and wealth. And the one who, if he had riches and wealth, it would lead him to corruption. 
And this is similar to what is mentioned in the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ يَبْسُطُ الرِّزْقَ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ وَيَقْدِرُ إِنَّهُ كَانَ بِعِبَادِهِ خَبِيرًا بَصِيرًا Indeed, Allah extends, indeed your Lord extends provision for whoever He wants and restricts provision for whoever He wants. Indeed, He is towards His servants, all-knowing and all-seeing. And He sees which one of them deserves or which one of them is suitable to have a great deal of risk and which one of them is not suitable to have a great deal of risk at that particular time and that particular moment. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, هُوَ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ فَمِنْكُمْ كَافِرٌ وَمِنْكُمْ مُؤْمِنٌ وَاللَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ He is the one who created you. So among you are disbelievers and among you are believers. And Allah is over what, or Allah is all-seeing of what you do. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-seeing of the pious believer and Allah Azza wa Jal is all seeing of the disobedient disbeliever and Allah Azza wa Jal gives reward to each one what they deserve because of what he sees subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said inna alladheena yulhiduna fi ayatina la yakhfawna alayna أَفَمَنْ يُلْقَى فِي النَّارِ خَيْرٌ أَمَّنْ يَأْتِي آمِنًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ اِعْمَنُوا مَا شِئْتُمْ إِنَّهُ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Indeed, those who deviate with regard to our ayat are not hidden from us. Is the one who is thrown into the fire better or the one who comes in a state of safety on the day of judgment? Do whatever you wish. Indeed, he is all-seeing of what it is that you do. Meaning that Allah Azza wa Jal threatens punishment to the one who deviates with regard to his ayat that he can see every single thing that that person is doing and that he will give them the reward or the recompense on the day of judgment according to what they have invented and what they have lied against Allah and the deviancy that they have fallen into and disbelief with regard to his ayat. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُجَادِلُونَ فِي آيَاتِ اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ سُلْطَانٍ أَتَاهُمْ إِنْ فِي صُدُورِهِمْ إِلَّا كِبَرٌ مَا هُمْ بِبَالِغِينَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ إِنَّهُ هُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Indeed, those who argue about our ayat without any authority that has come to them, there is nothing in their chests except for pride that they will not overcome. So seek refuge with Allah. Indeed, He is the all-hearing, the all-seeing. Meaning that Allah azza wa jal hears all sounds despite their differences and sees everything that can be seen regardless of where it is or regardless of what time it happens in. And from this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees the one who argues with regard to his ayat in order to try to make them or to try to claim that they are false. 
And this is something that they will never be able to do. And they will never be able to achieve it. They will never be able to achieve that aim that they try to do, to argue with regard to the ayat of Allah in order to render them false. And to debate, to try to prove that the ayat of Allah are false. They will never be able. They will never be able to achieve it. And Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَاللَّهُ يَقْضِي بِالْحَقِّ وَالَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ لَا يَقْضُونَ بِشَيْءٍ إِنَّ اللَّهَ هُوَ السَّمِيعُ الْبَصِيرُ And this indicates that worship is the right of the one who hears everything and the one who sees everything. Allah said, Allah is the one who judges in truth. And those who they make dua to instead of him, do not judge in anything or do not decree anything. Indeed, Allah is a Sami'ul Basir. And this indicates that our worship should always be directed to the one who sees everything and the one who hears everything. The one who has perfection in hearing and perfection in sight. As for the idols, then this is an evidence that their worship is false. Since they idols do not hear and they do not see. And they do not have perfection in hearing and perfection in sight. And for this reason, Ibrahim السلام, said to his father, as Allah told us in the Quran, Ya abati lima ta'budu ma la yasma'u wa la yubsiru wa la yughni anka shay'a. Oh my father, why do you worship that which cannot hear and that which cannot see and that which cannot help you in anything? And Allah Azza wa Jal said, إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, Indeed, Allah commands you to render the trusts to who they are due, and when you judge between people, to judge with justice. How excellent is it what Allah commands you or admonishes you with? Indeed, Allah Azza wa Jal is all hearing and all seeing. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praising himself for the excellent commands and prohibitions that he has revealed to us in the Quran. Because these commands and prohibitions contain what will benefit us in the dunya and the akhirah. And what will keep us away from harm in the dunya and the akhirah. Because the one who legislated them is As-Sami'ul Basir. This is very, very precise what the Shaykh said here. And very important. And I just want to highlight it again. Because the one who legislated them is all hearing and all seeing. Nothing is hidden for him or from him. And he knows what will bring about good for you, even when you do not know it for yourself. So because Allah is a Sami'ul Basir, his legislation is the best legislation. And his rules are the best rules. His commands are the best commands. And his prohibitions are the best prohibitions. And the best things to prohibit the people from. Because Allah is all hearing and all seeing. 
and because he therefore knows what will bring about the good for you and what will bring about harm for you and he sees all of that and hears all of that so he subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated the best and the most comprehensive form of rules and legislation which he has revealed to us in the Quran and in the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And in the ayah also, it encourages us to fulfill those rules and obligations. And it makes us scared of not fulfilling them. And the name as Samiul Basir encourages us to fulfill those obligations to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah said, Inna Allah and to addul amanati ila ahliha. Allah commands you to render the trust to whom they are due. The biggest amana that you have is the amana of Islam, the amana of the Sharia. Inna aradna al amanata ala samawati wal ardi wal jibal. We offered the amana, the scholars of tafsir said the amana was the sharia, yani the rules, the legislation of Islam, to the heavens and the earth and the mountains, but they refused to take, they, they refused out of fear yani, to take it. And they, they asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to burden them with it. They were scared. And mankind carried that responsibility. Indeed, he was full of oppression and ignorance. This tells us that the greatest amana we have is the amana to fulfill the laws of Islam. This is a greater amana than the amana that your brother gave you some money to, to hold for him or he gave you some responsibility to look after. The greatest amana you have is to fulfill the amana of Islam to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And knowing that Allah is a Sami'ul Basir motivates you to fulfill that amana to Allah Azza wa And likewise, it makes you scared of not fulfilling that amana to Allah. Because you recognize that if you don't fulfill that amana to Allah, Allah will see you not fulfilling that amana. And Allah will hear you not fulfilling that amana. And Allah will know that you did not fulfill that amana. So it makes you scared with regard to all of the amanat, but especially the greatest amana, the amana that you have towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَأَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُوا الزَّكَاءَ وَمَا تُقَدِّمُوا لِأَنفُسِكُمْ مِنْ خَيْرٍ تَجِدُوهُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ Perform the prayer and give the zakah. And whatever you put forward for your own selves of good, you will find it with Allah. Indeed, Allah is all-knowing of what you do. And this is a, a promise from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He will not lose any of the good deeds that you put forward for yourself. That He sees all of them and that He will reward you with the greatest of reward for all of them. This gives you hope. So don't you see that Al-Basir is a name that gives you hope and fear. It gives you hope because you know that there is not a single good deed that you do except that Allah sees it. Not like Allah missed it. He didn't see it. He, you know, he, he missed it, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That doesn't happen for Allah. Every single good deed that you do, Allah sees it. Whatever you put forward of good for yourself, you'll find it with Allah. Indeed, Allah is 
all seeing of that which you do. At the same time, it instills fear in you because it makes you scared that when you do something haram, you know also that Allah Azza wa Jal sees it. So it makes you have fear and it makes you have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So through these examples, we can come to know that when we remind ourselves and we remember in our hearts that Allah Azza wa Jal sees us and that Allah Azza wa Jal looks at what we do, this gives us a huge benefit in the topic of At-Targhibu wa Tarheeb Encouragement and fear Like instilling fear in you and instilling You know, encouraging you to do good As is clear in the examples that have been previously mentioned And in the ayat that have been previously mentioned So if you are able to perform your acts of worship with Ihsan and into the highest possible level, remembering that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can see you. And you're able to keep away from disobeying Him. And this comes from remembering and recalling and reminding yourself that Allah Azza wa Jal can see you and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can see what you do. This is what it means to have Ihsan. And that is the highest level of the religion. As the Prophet said, أن تعبد الله كأنك ترى فإن لم تكن تراه فإنه يراك. You reach the highest level of the religion through this. And how many people who have any become in a state of sin and a state of disobedience to Allah stop doing that because they remember that Allah can see them. So remembering that Allah is Al-Basir is something that can stop you, instantly stop you from disobeying Him. When you're in the middle of, of an dis act of disobedience or you're thinking of doing an act of disobedience and you remember that Allah can see you, so it can stop you from doing that act of disobedience. Ibn Rajab Rahimahullahu Ta'ala said Ibn Rajab rahimahullah ta'ala he said that a man sought to seduce a woman in the darkness of the night so he said to her nobody can see us except the stars he said to her nobody can see us except the stars she said to him then where is the one who put the stars in place meaning doesn't he see us because Allah Azza wa Jal said Alam yara. 
does he not know that Allah can see us? Does he not know that Allah can see us? And that should be enough of a statement, enough of an ayah to make a person stop sinning. Doesn't he know that Allah can see? Doesn't he know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees him when he says these things or does these things or begins to do the haram? This is enough to suffice a person in preventing them from doing sins. But the key thing here is remembering it. When you remember it, it's fine, all fine and well, but the key thing is remembering it. And so one of the most important things that we can do is to teach ourselves the habit of remembering that Allah can see us. And in reality, this is Ihsan. This is the highest level of Islam. The high, you cannot reach a level higher than that. I mean, that is the, the highest of the levels of the religion. To be constantly reminding yourself that Allah can see you. That's the level of Ihsan that the Prophet explained in the hadith of Jibreel in Sahih Muslim. So one of the lessons that we have to take from this, uh, the end of this uh, chapter, is we must get and develop a habit within ourselves to try to be in a state where we regularly remind ourselves that Allah can see us. And that it doesn't matter whether people can see you or people can't see you. There is never a moment or a situation or a place or a time where Allah cannot see So this is something that inshallah we want to apply and try to remember in our classes. And this just tells you part of the benefit of learning the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That every name you learn gives you a new action to do. A new set of things to try to remember. And the more you study them and go over them and revise them and recall them, this is what will bring you to Jannah. And that is why the Prophet said, Inna lillahi tis'atan wa tis'een isman, mi'atan illa wahida, man ahsaha dakhal al-jannah. Indeed, Allah has 99 names. Of course, we said that does not mean he has only 99 names. He has more than 99 names. But of all of the names of Allah, there are 99. That the one who ahsaha, not he learns them, memorizes them. The one who lives them, the one who practices them, the one who learns them and acts upon what he knows. Because we don't say Ihsa except for someone who learns something and acts upon what they learn. And if you were to go back to the classical Arabic dictionaries like Lisan al Arab and some of the other you know, famous Arabic dictionaries and you look up the word Ahsa or Ihsa, you'll see that this word it means to learn something and to implement what you know. To learn and implement. And that's what we're going to try to achieve in these lessons to learn more about Allah's names and to implement them in our lives. So the implementation of Al Basir is that we try to remind ourselves constantly that Allah is watching us. And then we see the effects on that in, in encouraging us to do good deeds, avoiding sins, of being aware of Allah more, having muraqaba, having more awareness that Allah is watching us, and 
perfection in our worship and keeping away from sins all of which come about when we recognize that Allah is Al-Basir and likewise so one of the things you can do is as the Shaykh said look through the ayat that end with the word Basir every time you hear the word Al-Basir in the Quran look through the ayat and you'll see that those ayat contain a message for you and they contain a particular link to the fact that Allah sees either in a message encouraging you to do good deeds or avoid sins or informing you that Allah sees what the believer and the disbeliever do or that you know one of the other examples that we gave for example uh, in the session today and there are many others so this is a name that comes many 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 times and we must always remember as well to conclude this ayah which is the most or probably the most important ayah regarding the names and attributes of Allah there is nothing like Allah and he is the all hearing the all seeing and I'll just conclude by just reminding everyone the importance of this ayah because this ayah is extremely important this ayah is sufficient to establish the belief of Ahlus Sunnah with regard to the names and attributes of Allah because as human beings we can see and we can hear and everyone agrees that you, I, everyone in this room can see with our eyes and hear with our ears. And yet Allah Azza wa Jal said that He can see and He can hear. But just before He said that He can see and hear, He said, Laysa kamithlihi shay, there is nothing like Him. And so what we learn from this is we affirm the hearing and the sight of Allah in a way that befits his majesty and his supremacy subhanahu wa ta'ala but we say that it's not like the hearing and the sight of mankind or his creation and when we say this about the hearing and the sight then we say it about all of the rest of the attributes of Allah and how strange is it for someone to come and say Allah can see and Allah can hear but don't say that Allah has a hand because you're comparing him to his creation Okay, what is hearing and seeing then? There is nothing like him. Not in his hand, not in his eyes, not in his hearing, not in his sight, not in any single other thing, not in his rising or his descending or anything else that he subhanahu wa ta'ala is or he subhanahu wa ta'ala does. Nothing is like his creation. But he himself affirmed this. He said there is nothing like him but he can see and he can hear. He can hear and he can see. And if you understand this ayah, more or less you have saved yourself from the vast majority of the doubts of the mutakallimin, the people who came with philosophy and rhetoric and tried to change the names and attributes of Allah. All you need to do to respond to them is to understand this ayah. Allah can hear, Allah can see. But his hearing and his sight is not like ours. And we say the same thing about Allah's eyes, the same thing about Allah's hands, the same thing about the fingers, the same thing about the shin, the same thing about the feet, the same thing about the rising and the descending, and the same thing about speech, and the same thing about everything that Allah describes himself with. We affirm it for Allah in the way that he affirmed it, with the meaning which comes to mind, or the way that his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa affirmed it with the meaning that comes to mind 
without comparing him to his creation, without denying it, without twisting the meaning, without asking how. There is nothing like him, and yet he is the all-hearing, the all-seeing. So this is an extremely important ayah because it sets the methodology and the rules for all of the ayah, all of the names of Allah and his attributes, all of them. It sets a simple rule. We affirm what Allah affirmed and what his messenger وسلم, affirmed for him without denying them, without changing the meaning, without comparing Allah to his creation and without asking how. And if we do that, then we have followed the correct methodology and the way that the Prophet and the companions understood the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what will help us to do that is knowing that Allah is as-sami'ah, al-basir. So we as human beings can see and we as human beings can hear, but our hearing is not like his hearing and our sight is not like his sight. And the same goes for all of the other names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And inshallah, we'll suffice ourselves with that. Uh, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Let's have a quick look and see if we got any, before we take questions from the brother's side, we'll see if we got any questions from the sister's side, inshallah. Not that one. So far, no. So if the brothers have any quick questions, inshallah, in the last five minutes, relating to the topic, first of all, and then off the topic, is okay after that, inshallah. Does anyone have any on-topic questions? Any, any questions relating to the names of Allah Azza wa Jalla or the attributes that they want to ask? I always complain about this. I'm going I'm to mention this all the time, many like that. When we ask the brothers, you have any questions? They, nobody has any questions. And then when we get to the door, there's no limit to the number of questions the brothers have. Naam Habibi. No problem, inshallah. This is a very, very good question, and, and in reality, this question requires a lot of uh, a lot of fiqh in the in the answer. So the question is uh, just in summary. We know and we hear people say that when we deal with local issues, I mean, we should ask the people of that place. Like for example, sometimes people ask me a question, and I will say this. You know, go and ask somebody who is in that, go and ask one of the shiyukh that is in that country. But at the same time, our shiyukh tell us, for example, Sheikh Saleh al-Fawzan ta'ala said, what is halal, what is haram in America is haram. Yani what is haram here is haram in America and what is haram yani there is haram here. Yani so like in other words, that the halal and the haram don't change wherever you are in the world and therefore and it's not correct to say to, you know, he's speaking about those people who say cut off from the scholars because they don't know the situation of our particular circumstance in, for example, America or the, U or the UK or something like that. So how do we reconcile between these different statements? This requires actually a lot of, uh, a lot of fiqh and understanding. And I I'll do my best to break down into a few little points. First of all, the first thing comes to mind is we have to appreciate the 
What's the word? The level of the question we are asking. Are we asking a question that is from the major matters of the Ummah? Then we should not be asking this question to the Talib Ilm who graduated five years ago or ten years ago and he is still, you know, like in terms of knowledge, you know, in his nappies. He's still a baby in terms of knowledge. We shouldn't be asking this person about matters which are matters which affect the whole any ummah this is one thing those matters which are of serious you know of great severity for example uh, they could be matters relating to uh, you can say things like which would come under the topic of like political issues like big things that can affect or things that could cause people to lose their lives or things that could you know affect millions of people in a particular place this is not appropriate for us to ask to the sigar to the small students of knowledge they should be asked to the major scholars rather this is not appropriate to ask many of the scholars forget the students of knowledge and this question should be asked to the more senior of the senior scholars this is one point the next thing is if it is possible to ask uh, some of the scholars who are more knowledgeable in another country, but to give them the full circumstances behind the question by, for example, using one of the students of knowledge who knows the situation and saying, will you please speak to the Sheikh and ask him about the ruling on this issue? Because you are able to explain to him in a language he will understand and you know what are the relevant factors for this particular uh, for this particular issue then this is excellent and this is the right thing to do because the basic principle is you ask the most knowledgeable person you have access to you ask the most knowledgeable person that you have access to so if you have an ability to ask a, a more knowledgeable sheikh along with giving him the proper context to be able to answer the question because this is a very difficult thing in of itself and it comes under the rulings of al-mufti wal-mustafti there are there's a bab in usul al-fiqh a chapter in usul al-fiqh called al-mufti wal-mustafti the one who gives the fatwa and the one who asks for a fatwa because asking for a fatwa is a science in of itself if you give the shaykh too much information you're giving him the fatwa instead of asking him for one like when you say Sheikh, yani, there is a brother in our country and he doesn't do anything except haram and he eats haram and does haram, what do you think of him, Sheikh? Okay, what will the Sheikh say? Yani, like you gave him the answer to the question before you asked the question. And yani, the one who asked the question like this, and yani, he is jahil about the rulings of al-istifta, about how to ask a question. And yani, the way he asks a question, like the brothers from the West to do to many of the Shiuch. He phones up the Sheikh, he gives him an answer and says, Sheikh, what do you think? This is jahil, jahil yani, ignorance about how to ask questions. At the same time, if you don't give the Shaykh enough context, he may not be able to answer you properly. Shaykh, is it okay for me to take a loan? What kind of loan? Yani, riba based loan, Qard Hassan, what conditions, what rules? Like this, yani, Shaykh, is it okay to take a loan from an Islamic bank? Which Islamic bank? What were the rules? What were the conditions? What was the contract? So you have to also be able to give the Shaykh enough information. So the second way is you get together with some of the Tullab al-Ilm and you present the issue to the Shaykh with the proper 
context, neither giving him the answer nor taking information away, trying to convey the facts with all of the relevant points as they should be, and then asking the Shaykh for the answer. If you're able to do this, this is better. The third circumstance is that you ask the Shaykh and the Shaykh himself excuses himself from answering the question. Because he says, I am not able to answer this question because I think it has elements in it which are specific to this area and I don't have knowledge of them. Because the Sheikh may have knowledge of them. Many of the Shaykh, they know what goes on in England and America. They have good knowledge. Some of them visit the UK many times. Some of them don't have much knowledge. So the Sheikh himself may apologize and excuse himself and say, I don't feel that this is right to answer this question. I think you should ask this question to somebody who is local. In this case, you may go to the person who is local and he says, this question is too big for me to answer. So here what should we do? Bring them together. Have the one that is local, prepare the question in a knowledgeable way and present it to the Shaykh and allow him to have some discussion with the Shaykh so together they can come to the correct uh, answer. And there may be some issues yani, that you personally feel are more related to uh, knowing the circumstances of the, the place that you are in. And in this case, again, you simply ask the most knowledgeable person. If you have access to somebody who knows the situation in the UK, you want to ask about something specific to the UK, and he knows that thing which is specific to the UK, you ask the most knowledgeable person you have access to. That may be a small student of knowledge, it may be a big sheikh, depends on the issue and it depends on the circumstance. But one of the things that people must not do is cut off from the scholars. And they must not also confuse the talib ilm with the scholar. And one of the you know, masaib calamities we have in this is that everybody today is sheikh. And everybody today is yani, like some, like, you know, that we don't distinguish. In reality, yani, we have people who are just du'at. And alhamdulillah, yani, jazaamullah khayran, yani, they're du'at al-khayr, yani, they call people to good. But don't confuse them with the, the alim, the great scholar, the person of, you know, the senior person of knowledge. Don't mix those things up. And this way you'll benefit from the da'iya, you'll benefit from the shaykh. But if you mix them up, you'll benefit from neither. You're doing the da'iya an injustice by raising him to that level and you're doing the shaykh an injustice by lowering him from the level that he belongs to be, that he belongs in. So when you put each person in their place, you can benefit from both, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. And the du'at have an important job. We always say that our job is to convey the knowledge of the scholars to you in your language so that you can understand. And if you understood Arabic, we would tell you, go and, and learn directly from them. It's better for you. But we translate and summarize and convey the knowledge that we heard from the shiuch to you. That's our job. And their job is to and he provide that knowledge and to be the source of that knowledge by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in general, you ask the most knowledgeable person you have access to, the Shaykh may apologize and say and excuse himself and say, I can't answer that because it has some local issues. Or you may identify that it's not a generic question about the halal and the haram. It really is quite specific to the circumstances. And I'll, I'll just give you an example of that. People talk about uh, medical insurance. 
So you could ask one of the big shiuch, what's the ruling on medical insurance? And he can give you a generic answer. You could also give him the context and say, in my country, it is by law, you must have at least X, Y, Z amount of medical insurance. And the, you, they take this much from you and they do this. And then the sheikh may give you an answer. You may ask this to the sheikh and he may say, I can't answer this question because it depends on knowing the circumstances in the hospitals and in the laws of your country. Ask it to the most knowledgeable person you have access to within your country. And if you feel like it's a, too big for him, you can go to him and join him, put him together with the sheikh and let him tell the sheikh the circumstances and get the response from the sheikh. So I mean, this is an example of something that maybe uh, it has some specific issues, but it also has a general ruling. Yani if it's haram, and it's haram everywhere, but the question is not, is it haram? But the question is, are we allowed to use it by necessity because of the circumstances we are in in this country, yes or no? And that is something that either you have to explain to the sheikh the full details of what you have, or you have to take it to someone who is local and ask them to take it to the sheikh or ask them to answer if they are confident in the answer. But the most important thing is we don't cut off from the shiuch and we don't say the shiuch are ignorant about what goes on in the West or whatever. And as the shiuch said, any what is haram there is haram in here. Everything, you know, the haram didn't become halal somewhere and haram somewhere. But yes, there are some elements which need to be explained within the context of the local knowledge that people have. Uh, and uh, that if, if ideally what you want from that to summarize is you want the sheikh to tell you when he can't answer and you want the student of knowledge to tell you when the issue is too big for him to answer. And if both of them do that, you won't be confused. If the sheikh says to you, I'm sorry, I can't answer that because it requires knowledge about something that I don't know about. Uh, like for example, someone might ask me, should we work with such and such a jama'ah in India? such and such a group or such and such an organization. And I don't know who the group is. I don't know what their aqidah is, their manhaj is, what their methodology, what they do, what they don't do, the good of them, the bad of them. I apologize and I say, excuse me, I'm sorry, I can't answer that because and it's about some, uh, some people, I don't know the reality of them. So you should ask this to somebody who knows the reality of them better. And then that person again, you know, and so there is a, and each person should answer in accordance to what they are able to answer. And if they do that, then inshallah you'll get the right, uh, the right answer. So the, as always, khayrul umur, awsatuha, the best of all things is the middle path. And Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. I think it's very, very important when we speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we only speak with knowledge. And we're very, very careful about the words we use about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because sometimes we might be trying to say the right thing, but using the wrong words to say it, for example. And I'm not saying that this speaker necessarily is, is wrong, but just that I feel that you have to be very precise in your words. So when you say Allah has rules that he abides by, 
I, I, I don't know, I feel this statement could be said in a more precise way. If you said, for example, Allah has sunan, because Allah says in the Quran, sunnatullah, and the, the things which are um, almost eternal rules, yani things that all Allah always does. So if they were to use the word sunnatullah, Whenever I hear these words, I want to say to them, what's your proof? Bring me, you have to bring me an evidence. You have to bring me an ayah which says that Allah has such and such or hadith that says that Allah has such and such. And sometimes when we convey those words into English, we might choose a word that is wrong. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. When someone asks you, and those of you st maybe stay with us for Al-Aqeed Al-Wasatiyah in the mornings on Fridays and you might inshallah come across this issue. Someone asks you, does Allah have a direction? Does Allah have a direction? Do we affirm a direction for Allah Then what's the answer to this? If you say yes, you are wrong. And if you say no, you are wrong. And if you say yes, you are wrong. And if you say no, you are wrong. The answer is, what do you mean by direction? If by direction you mean al-ulu, wal-fawqiyya, being above, then Allah is above, above the heavens. And if by direction you mean north, east, south and west, then these are created directions and Allah is not a part of his creation. So this is an example of how someone might say, something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and use a word and that word itself and it doesn't like it doesn't give you confidence any the word itself is not like is not well chosen so I'm not so sure about what the person said but I would like to say one of two things first of all uh, regarding what they said they should produce a proof with those words any a proof from the Quran or a proof from the Sunnah with those exact uh, words and if they have tried to just convey an idea, then one of the greatest sins that you can do is to say something about Allah you don't know. So when we convey an idea about Allah, we should convey it with the words that Allah used. So if we said that Allah has sunan, and he almost, uh, I don't know whether I can find the right word in English off the top of my head, but established sort of ways any a sunnah is the way that somebody does something, an established way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does certain things. And for example, when a people forget Allah Azza wa Jal from the sunnah of Allah is that Allah opens the doors of richness and you know success to them in the dunya so that they forget Him. And then He seizes them with a severe punishment. This is from the sunnah of Allah, any the established ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, and he acts in accordance with with regard to his uh, creation but we should be careful we use the right words because sometimes we can we can get ourselves tie ourselves in a knot by using the wrong word about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even though we're trying to convey the right idea and for everything we say we have to have a proof for everything we say we have to have a proof we say like you have to have a proof with that wording and from the scholars who we benefit the most in this issue is Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala. Very cautious in the words that he used with regard to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala especially. Very cautious, very careful, you know, about the using exactly the right word. 
So this would be what I would have to say about this and Allah knows best. The scholars, uh, I mean, what I will tell you, I won't answer the, the question in full, but what I will tell you is, the scholars say that when insurance is a legal requirement, then in this case, you only take the minimum necessary to comply with the legal requirement. For example, if it's legally required that you have to have insurance to renew your car license, then you take the minimum. You don't take the one that is the fully comprehensive, all bells and whistles, yani we will clean your car for you and look after everything and bring you a new car and all this stuff. And you take the one that is the only thing you're concerned is it is absolutely the cheapest one that will get you them to stamp your card and give you a new car. Yani. Like, so you do the minimum that is required and you don't use it. Yani. You don't use it. Um, you don't use it because at the end of the day, it's not, it's not permissible for you. But you took it as only it was necessary to be able to register your car with or register your you know, visa with or whatever. You couldn't renew your visa without it. So you take it to renew your visa, the minimum amount that is required. Um, and you advise this to the company. You tell the company the same thing. I do not want your you know, five star, ten star, whatever package. I just want the most minimum required to fulfill the legal requirements that are upon me. And that is the answer to that bit. There are other masail that I, I find it harder to answer and I don't really want to speak about without knowledge, but some of the other masail, for example, what if a person is unable uh, to get treatment except through this? And for example, the prices are so high because of the presence of this insurance that they are unable to get medical treatment from anywhere else. This is something to ask to the scholars. Also, are you allowed to use it to the amount that you've paid? Like for example, if you have paid a thousand dirhams, are you allowed to use that thousand dirhams since you paid for it uh, or not? Any these are issues that these are masail that still I, I feel not confident in answering. There are other issues any regarding it. But the simple issue of when you have to have it in order to comply with some legal requirement and you can't get away with not having it, like you need it to renew your visa or you need it to get your car uh, license renewed, then you take the minimum that is required to be able to fulfill that need and nothing, nothing more than that. Any, the absolute minimum that is required to be able to fulfill that need. Uh, that's the bit that I know about. The rest and he is something to ask some of the shiuch, inshallah, because it has issues with That's what I said with your ask to the shiuch, inshallah. This one, there are some issues left, any yeah. and yeah, that those that issue is still left. Any the issue of are you allowed to use it for to the minimum amount that or to the amount that you paid or something like that? This is another issue, inshallah. No.
Okay, so there are different issues here. There are three issues in your question. Number one, what is the ruling of playing video games? Okay. Number two, what is the ruling of playing video games in tournaments? Or what is the rule of tournaments in general for cash prizes? And number three, what is the rule in playing video games as a career? Okay, so we tried to deal with each one. Number one, what's the ruling in playing video games? So the ruling in playing video games depends on the video game. And it depends on the effects of the video game. So there are two concerns we have with regard to video games. One is with regard to the content of those games. And one is regard, with regard to the effect of those games. So if the content is haram, then the game is haram. For example, if the content involves uh, killing people without right, uh, or destroying Islam, or uh, committing zina, or uh, drinking alcohol, or stealing, or whatever, if the content is haram, then the game is also and if the content is haram, then the game is also haram. If it contains music that can't be switched off or disabled or something like that. And if the content is haram, then the game is haram. The second issue is, what is the ruling of tournaments? Most tournaments for cash prizes in general are haram. Vast majority, especially when you pay a fee in order to enter and then that fee is shared out as a, a prize or whatever. And it, generally this... Uh, yeah, and he falls either under the ruling of gambling or some other form of uh, haram. And so generally tournaments for cash prizes are, and in the vast majority of cases are not allowed. And there may be some conditions or some situations in which they could be, but even then you have a hadith also regarding these prizes not being for things other than and that which is, for example, uh, beneficial uh, for the Muslims in terms of uh, you know, for example, wrestling or something, or archery or something like that. There are there are some rules. There are a lot of rules, but most tournaments will not be most tournaments will not be halal. As regarding playing games as a career, or sorry, the second issue is the effect of the games. So the effect of the games could be the game is halal, but it distracts you from the salah. It stops you remembering Allah. You're playing it instead of the adhan is going off. You're still playing. The iqama is going off. You're still playing. So this is also haram, not because of its content, but haram because of what it causes you to do. And haram because of what it, what it causes you to do. Zin. The third issue we have is doing this as a career. I struggle to see how you could do it as a career and for it to be halal. I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to... Yani, make a pronouncement, yani this is something you should ask to the people of knowledge, but I can't see how it could be halal because it's going to involve massive amounts of, 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 uh, of time, yani using massive amounts of time, playing lots of games that probably are not yani, are very difficult to keep uh, halal, and it's going to encourage people into something that at best should be a pastime and, and yani, that's a, in the best way of looking at it, it should be a, a small thing. Yani. And some things are not befitting for people to turn into careers. And it's not right to turn things into careers. And some things, uh, like when people say that I have a career as this or a career as that. And some of these careers are not like, are not praiseworthy. So I don't see how it could be halal. And I struggle to see how it could be halal. Uh, and especially when you add into that the issue of tournaments and a lot of, lot of problems in it. And in general, look, video games, if you find a halal, halal video games to play, should be something that is any a small hobby, any a small part of your life that you do for a few minutes, for a, you know, for a little bit of relaxation, and then you get on with what's important. 
when it starts to take over your life, it starts to become the majority of what you do, and that's a, that's a pretty, you know, downhill situation to be in. Inshallah, I think we'll stop it there. Barakallahu feekum. Wallahu a'lam wa salatu wa salam. Ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.